Just to note before we start that this episode contains references to suicide and helplines will be provided at the end. Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Michelle Hennessy, and this week, what makes Love Island so successful? Well, even if you've never watched an episode of Love Island in your life, it's probably been hard for you to escape knowing that Davide and Ekansu were the winners of this year's £50,000 prize. Each year, the show, which has been running since 2015, places a group of young men and women in a Spanish villa and asks them to couple up until they find the potential love of their lives. But it's not all sun, fun and romance at the Love Island Villa. The show has been a source of controversy as well. Over the years, concerns have been raised about the show's duty of care to contestants, particularly during some challenges they were asked to take part in. Despite the yearly debate about whether Love Island is something that's actually good for society, and in particular our young people, it continues to attract a huge audience. This year's launch drew in 5 million views on ITV, making it the show's biggest premiere since 2019. And in Ireland, it was watched by an average of 204,000 viewers every night. So what's behind the show's success? And will it need to change some of its ways to keep this momentum going? Joining me to chat about it today is Orla Condon, host of the Love Island podcast, My Pod on Paper. Orla, you're very welcome. Now, can you start with a reminder for us of when Love Island first arrived on our screens? And what was the response to the first season? It arrived on our screens as we know it in 2015. So the, this series of kind of, you know, everyday people going in to find love uh, arrived in 2015. But it started way before that with Celebrity Love Island, uh, which ran for two seasons, which was shown in Ireland. So many people might remember watching it late. It was I, I remember it being on really late that I probably shouldn't have been watching it. I was definitely too young. And Callum Best featured in both series, which might be a standout memory for, for anyone who watched it. And then it was revived in 2015 in this kind of more everyday people format. And since then, then it's ran every year, including 2020 when COVID because they got their winter series in. So we're eight series in now and it's early reactions were were good of a normal kind of reality show. It, it definitely didn't hold the place in TV scheduling as, like it does now. Um, but once it started to be franchised, it really started to blow up. And I think that's when it became such a conversation in offices around the country and in every group chat around the country. Uh, it came to Ireland for series four and that's when it really took hold with Irish viewers as well. And the momentum hasn't really slowed down, even though the clock on it has to be ticking. It still keeps that top spot with viewership between 18 and 34 and this season was definitely a season in high for them uh, it performed one of the best of the last eight series kind of much to many people's surprises after last year so for those people who might be hoping that it's coming to an end I don't know if that's going to be coming anytime soon and we call it a reality show but how real is what happens on Love Island Oh, look, it's definitely constructed reality. I think that the idea of reality TV has changed a lot over the years. I think when people think of of reality TV, they the bar that they often set is Big Brother, which was very much, you know, let people loose. We were the bird's eye in the sky. See what they do. This human experiment. Love Island isn't that. It's definitely constructed reality. It's definitely highly manipulated. It is highly edited. But because it follows that nightly scheduling that it's it's going out Sunday to Friday nights and then you have unseen bits on a Saturday. I think people hold it to the standard of Big Brother that it should be real. And I think that's where we get into a lot of the the mess with Love Island. This idea that, you know, 
I can't believe this is happening and I can't believe he said that and I can't believe she made this move so soon when we really need to actually look at the timeline of how this is filmed and oftentimes we are missing huge chunks of the day. We are skipping forward up to two days at a time. You know, it's it's very, very constructed and I think once people have that idea in their heads, it kind of removes a, a lot of the criticism that I see on Twitter, which is kind of holding it to that big brother standard of you know, this is happening live in front of my eyes and I'm seeing every moment of the day. You're not. And we do have now a lot of these kind of romance related reality TV shows, uh, Married at First Sight, that kind of thing. What makes Love Island stand out from those? Again, I think it's that it sits between a kind of a reality series that runs weekly and this kind of eye in the sky type Big Brother style show. So I feel it's it's the fact that you think you're seeing them all the time and you're seeing them kind of make food in the kitchen and sit by the pool and get scared by a really large wasp and all this kind of stuff that you're like, oh, it just feels so much more real than something like Married at First Sight, which you can clearly see as you watch it is edited with music and clips and diary room bits and all this stuff. It's it's much more clearly packaged as this has been filmed over a set amount of time and we're putting it together into one episode. So I think that is definitely a big difference. And it's also appointment TV viewing like we haven't seen in a very long time. Um, Love Island is a show that if you missed tonight's episode, there's really no point in going back and watching it because you've missed the boat of the conversation. Um, so it's kind of, you know, with Married at First Sight, you can, there's a little bit of flexibility and other kind of shows like that, like The Bachelor and all that kind of stuff in the US. There's a little bit more flexibility with, oh, well, I didn't get to watch it tonight because I was out, so I'll watch it tomorrow and I'll get into the chat then. Love Island moves at such a pace that you feel like you have to be there at your screen at nine o'clock to catch it or else you won't be able to join the conversation tomorrow morning. And I want to ask you about the public vote. Obviously, we can't vote here in the Republic of Ireland, but is that something that keeps people interested? The idea of having some level of involvement or even control over the direction the show takes and whether people stay or leave? I wouldn't have thought so until last year. And last year, season seven, we didn't get a lot of public votes at all. It was very, very far, few and far between. Um, and there was a huge level of like mounting frustration from the viewership that we were not being allowed to voice our opinions on these islanders and the couples that they're in. Um, so before that, I wouldn't have thought it played such a part in the viewership's kind of thinking and, and love for the show. And then last year just really changed that. I think because we had such a toxic year last year where there were so many complaints and there were so many people who caused so much upset that I think the viewership felt like, right, if you're not going to do anything about this, I want my chance to vote this person out or to save this person who deserves a better time or whatever it might be. And this year then we saw a huge increase in the, in the viewership involvement. We got a lot more public votes, but that can also be very much manipulated by production to kind of control what way the narrative goes. So there's definitely, while the public has a say, it's definitely controlled so that the story can be can be preserved for as long as possible. And how much is social media a part of all of the popularity? I mean, you'll often see people talking about trying to have one eye on Twitter on their phone and the other on the actual show because the social media chat is half the fun for them. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's huge. It's huge, right? Like, I feel like there's so many... There's so many examples of of things that we watch where you're like, I want to have Twitter open on my phone. Like even down to the Lele Toy Show, you're like, I want to have Twitter open on my phone while I watch this because it will just enhance the viewing experience. And Love Island is definitely like that. And one thing about Love Island that differs from many other reality TVs as well are the fan spaces that have been created 
since it started. I mean, like it's like obviously our podcast was a result of me being a fan who felt like I wasn't getting the content and the discussion about the show that I really wanted to consume. You also have there's loads of Love Island podcasts around there. I would like to think ours is one of the best. Just a little plug there. Um, <laughs> and then you've all these Twitter spaces that are popping up as well, where there's conversations happening as soon as the credits roll. You have Reddit forums that are being moderated really well by moderators who are who are dropping all the breaking news in there, and they're really active forums. And you've all of these spaces that happen simultaneously around the show. Um, so it's it's. It's no longer even about being at the TV at nine o'clock. It's also where are you getting your conversation after that? You could be getting it in your group chats, but you could also be getting it on Twitter. You could also be getting it on a podcast. You could be getting it on Reddit. You could be getting it on TikTok, wherever it might be. And that is that is has become huge. And this series, the conversation in those spaces has almost become a secondary show like there has been so much information and gossip and behind the scenes information and just discussions around different topics that have come from there that we're not getting in the main show or it's kind of after sun and it's podcast the morning after and so it's become almost essential to have an outlet for fans who really want to get that conversation so twitter and all of those spaces are massively important to the success of love island and Love Island obviously has millions of fans, but there are many detractors too. Do you think that the criticisms are fair or do you think people are are too dismissive too readily? Do you know what? They're No, they're absolutely fair. And like, I used to really love, I used to really love getting into like a taxi and I'd be going to record the podcast. And they'd be like, oh, where are you off to? And I'm like, I'm off to record a podcast about Love Island. And I would love getting into the debate in the taxi cab being like, no, it's not a waste of time. They're not all stupid girls in bikinis and all this stuff. Like, it's not that. And I used to love that debate. And I think because of where the show has gone in recent years and some of the darker conversations that have come up, it's definitely harder to defend it because there are serious faults and flaws in this system that have not yet been rectified. So definitely there are some criticisms of this show that are 100% justified and have not been answered by ITV as of yet. Now, I think the criticism about them all being, you know, stupid young people who just are on there for fame, I think that usually comes from people who have not watched it and have not actually tuned into an episode because I think that is such a, a base level understanding of what this show is and it's actually very belittling to some of the amazing characters that we've met out of it who have created multi-million pound companies out of it it's the same thing with kardashians right we've seen that for years like sure what's her talent it's like well her talent is making money off of people who watch her so who's having the last laugh so i think there's there's definitely valuable criticism to the show but i think there's a lot of the conversation where people immediately roll their eyes and and kind of say that you're stupid for watching such nonsense that kind of corner of criticism i'm happy to debate morning, noon and night because I just think that's a bit short-sighted. Uh, but one of the criticisms over the years has been related to the challenges that contestants were asked to do. So things like the lie detector challenge, uh, the Twitter and headline challenges. Can you tell us about those? Yeah, so the lie detector challenge was, as you'd expect, um, the couples would be tied up to lie detectors. I mean, how valuable and, and realistic the results were there, I don't know. But they'd be asked to, they'd be asked questions about their time in the villa and their feelings towards their partner and their feelings towards other people in the villa with the goal of inciting some kind of drama within or around the villa, uh, within the couple or around the villa. And it definitely sparked controversy, but I don't think as much as things like the headline challenge and the Twitter challenge, which were basically 
big cards with kind of headlines pulled from the red tabs or tweets pulled from Twitter with names redacted and the Islanders had to guess who the headline or who the tweet was about. Again, to give a little bit of a peek to the perception of them on the outside. And it would also encourage them to kind of say, oh, well, this person is the most hated Islander. Oh, that has to be X. That has to be X. But actually it was Y. And the fallout that would come from that. And I think when the duty of care thing became such a hand-in-hand conversation with Love Island about three, four years ago. The challenges were one of the first things that I think ITV felt they could remove to show that they were doing something, which I think was was putting, you know, a band-aid over a gunshot wound because it was just, it was, some of these games could easily have been tweaked to kind of lessen the impact and all this kind of stuff. But it just didn't... I, it didn't feel fully sensical to me that that was the first point to call for them was to amend some of these games. Uh, they obviously lost the lie detector challenge because of the controversy with Jeremy Kyle's show and all the stuff around then with with that show, that kind of happened in tandem with the duty of care aspect on Love Island. Um, so a lot of that stuff has been scrapped and the duty of care has continued to be expanded every year. And it's a big kind of announcement that comes at the top of the season every year as a kind of a reminder of what ITV is reportedly doing. Now, there's definitely loads of space for for growth there. And I mean, women's aid charities have come out and said about the gaps in the, in the duty of care this year with, with some areas not being covered. Um, so while they are trying, there's clearly still a lot of work to be done. And are there other major controversies faced by the show that, that you can point to and changes that they may have made in response to them? Well, I mean, the, the biggest the biggest controversy surrounding Love Island, and it will never be able to separate its legacy from the fact that two Islanders took their own lives, not not directly after going on the show, but in the years after Sophie Graydon and Mike Palabo took their own lives. And that has been hugely linked to Love Island. And there will be a lot of people who say, you know, it was the show that did it and it was because of the show. Um, now, that that many family members related to the to the pair of them have said otherwise that they had their own difficulties and stuff like that, but the duty of care a big part of the duty of care to begin with was doing these kind of mental health background checks on Islanders to make sure that they were in a place that they are able to handle the severe amount of pressure that comes with being on the show, and then obviously when Caroline Flack died um two years ago that was a huge huge knock for Love Island um, fans and I think that was you know we all have these kind of celebrity deaths that you know you kind of remember feeling a little bit maybe more grief than you should have for someone you didn't know and definitely Caroline Flack was felt very deeply by Love Island viewers and again there are people that link that to the show but obviously as we know she was having her own struggles in in the public eye at that time and with legal cases and things like that and it's it's that stuff will be so directly linked to Love Island and so deeply intertwined with the show forever. Um, And I think the duty of care elements that they've introduced as off the back of those discussions have been very focused on preparing the Islanders for fame and preparing the Islanders for online trolling and backlash and, you know, how to handle social media and how to handle all this stuff. And I think what we saw this year was a huge gap in but what do we do if the Islanders themselves are causing harm to other Islanders within the villa? Where's that duty of care element? Why, you know, it's not just a result of this intense part of the fandom that will always be there to spew absolute vitriol. But what about the Islanders who are in the villa, who we're seeing are in bad situations? What about the duty of care to them? And I think that's been, I hate to say an interesting conversation because there's people involved in that, but it's definitely been a gap that has been needed to be pointed out for quite a while. And I I want to come back to talking about this year's show. But before that, something that I've been wondering about viewers, and I'm one of them, I have to say, is 
Is there a bit of nastiness in our enjoyment of the drama? I mean, sometimes the episodes that seem to be the ones that are most popular or that people enjoy the most involve people arguing, somebody having to go with somebody else, somebody getting really upset. Why are we like this? Oh, absolutely. That's a big part of the enjoyment. Absolutely. Like, I mean, I just think if people say that there's no entertainment in some of the arguments, then you're you're lying to yourself. Now, there are definitely arguments that have escalated beyond enjoyment. I'm thinking of the, the Faye Teddy moment that we saw last year that resulted in over 25,000 Ofcom complaints. And I think was it the second most complained about TV moment behind the Roxanne Pallet moment on Big Brother um, where she accused Ryan Thomas of hitting her. So like huge backlash towards that. That kind of stuff is beyond what is entertaining. But little kind of tiffs here and there is definitely a part of the draw. And I think my personal viewpoint on it is most people aren't going to get into arguments like that every day. You, you know, the, you, when you grow up and become an adult, you're kind of like, okay, right. So I can't actually scream at someone when I disagree what they're saying like I could when I was a child. Yeah. Um, so you don't have those kind of conversations and you don't see those kind of conversations happening. It's like if someone, if you see someone fighting in public, like I don't know about you, but I absolutely stop and stare because I'm like, oh my God, look at this playing out in front of my very eyes. Like, it's so it's just human nature to be like to watch this kind of stuff. And there is definitely moments of of disagreement on Love Island that are really, really entertaining to watch where it's just people fighting over nonsense. And you're like, oh, they they argued their point badly or he did really well or she didn't handle it very well. And then there is the other stuff where it really escalates. And it's like, OK, someone needs to jump in here now and actually call time on this because this is beyond just enjoyable squabbling this is like really intense stuff so it's definitely in line but the stuff that falls beneath that or over that line I'm like yeah I'm okay I'm okay with watching this (laughs) okay so back to this year's show would you say the format has really changed compared to earlier years or was it more of the same I think generally the format was pretty, pretty much the same. We had a couple of minor differences. I think one of the biggest differences was the fact that the public got to vote for what Islanders coupled up on the very first episode. Um, so normally the Islanders will will all come out and it's a very awkward process where a boy will walk out and the girls will step forward if they fancy him. And then the boy gets to pick between any of the girls whether they step forward for him or not. And it's very... It's it's very awkward to watch. It's very misogynistic. And it's kind of one of those humps that you have to get over to get into the swing of the show. And we kind of all need to grin and bear it. So they changed that this year where they opened it up to the viewing public to decide who would be coupled up with who. And that was how the, the format ran this year, which was a change. It definitely wasn't as impactful as I think Love Island maybe expected it to be. But other than that, we haven't really had any huge format changes. Obviously, we saw the return of Adam Collard, get, uh, which was another kind of moment of difference from other seasons. He was on Series 4 in 2018, I believe. And he returned and he's the first Islander to return to another series of Love Island um, to take part in the show, which was definitely notable given, you know, given the fact that it never happened before, but also given the fact that Adam Collard was the one who, you know, caused the very first statement to come out from Women's Aid about the treatment of women within the show. And since then has has kind of, I mean, Women's Aid is so closely linked to Love Island as well. There's there's nearly a statement every year. Um, so they were probably the two biggest moments of note. Other than that, it has generally tracked as we would expect it to track. And you mentioned statements from Women's Aid. This season also drew 1,500 complaints to Ofcom, that's the British media regulator, over alleged misogyny. So what happened there? Yeah, I mean, the the fact that Ofcom has become such a well-known 
company to the viewing public. I mean, everyone nearly knows what Ofcom is now because of Love Island and shows like it. Yeah, so it, it drew a lot of complaints. Uh, it absolutely paled in comparison to last year, which is interesting. Um, but it drew a lot of complaints for the treatment of a couple of people, but one in particular who was Tasha, who many will remember from the earlier weeks from being in the news because she was the first deaf contestant on Love Island. Now, Tasha and was partnered with Andrew by the public on the very first night, um, and they ended up finishing in fourth place. But along the way, Andrew was definitely very clearly interested in Tasha, uh, he was clearly moving a lot quicker down the path than she was. She was still a little bit unsure and wanted to keep her options open. And I think she played that line a little bit long. And I think people got a little bit upset with her that she was kind of, you know, quote unquote, leading Andrew on. Now, two other guys in the villa, one in particular, Luca, took issue with her very early on and were very vocal about their, you know, dislike for her to both Andrew and to her. And that escalated massively over the season. And we got to a point Point, I think around week six where there was a game um, Snog Mary Pie I know people will be rolling their eyes it is silly it is silly I'm very aware it's silly they had to <laughs> kiss the girl they wanted to snog marry or pie and then they would pie the girl they wanted to pie they pied Tasha and it was what they said afterwards. It was very nasty and very direct. And that physical intimidation of actually being able to go up and pie her after weeks of kind of belittling her in the villa. I actually think that was probably one of the most uncomfortable moments I've ever sat through on Love Island. And I found it very, very tough to watch that. Um, and we've seen screaming matches before, but this moment of kind of, you know, physical, physically showing someone that you didn't approve of them was very difficult to watch. And beyond that, Luca in his own relationship had been criticised for being quite overbearing, quite controlling. Uh, we saw Women's Aid and other charities speak about, you know, coercive control which they were seeing signs of in the, in the Luca Gemma situation and manipulation within a relationship we did an episode with Women's Aid Ireland where we spoke to them about the warning signs of things like this and that was all off the back of things that we were seeing within the villa and, and I think the problem with that narrative was ITV let it play out for so long that the public anger got quite high and then there are that percentage of viewers that will turn to sending extremely nasty and violent messages to Luca's friends and family, which was happening. And then Luca's friends and family were rightly saying, please stop this. Like, this is so dangerous. This is so inconsiderate of him when he comes out in his mental health. And then they were using this be kind messaging, which is linked to the show now as well, because of after Caroline Flack's death, it was very much a hashtag be kind and I think the problem is, is ITV are not stepping in early enough to kind of clamp down on these issues within the villa so as not to allow this story play out, so as not to allow viewership to get so upset and angry about what they're seeing, so as not to encourage this weird part of the fandom that will always result to these extreme messages to family and friends. And I think... ITV and Love Island can tout this be kind messaging a lot, but I think it's very, it's not right when they themselves are not intervening at a point where they can stop the bad behaviour and therefore stop the aggression on the outside towards these islanders. I think Love Island is so controlled and manipulated. They have so much influence in the show as producers. 
and they don't exercise it in moments when we feel like they really need to. And I think that's been a huge conversation this year and rightly point out by Women's Aid that there was a gap in the duty of care um, protocol that didn't really cover coercive control and manipulation within relationships. So it'll be interesting to see and again, I say interesting loosely, be, I, I'm curious to see what they will do to try and tackle this issue that has been ongoing for years. And we did also see two islanders decide themselves to leave the villa. That was uh, Liam after just four days and then Jack's further into the season. Are there learnings to be taken from those departures? Yeah, I th- look, I think Liam is, is a kind of a separate issue. I think Liam... I think he's, he, he has spoken about the fact that he really didn't understand the kind of production side of Love Island and he found the, the you know, filming for certain hours of the day and the kind of instructions about what to talk about really difficult because oftentimes, you know, they, they talk about the voice of God, which is the kind of interconference producers in the villa and Islanders have spoken about the fact that, you know, they could be talking about yogurt and the voice of God will be like yeah can we just move on to maybe the fallout from last night's dumping guys and just so they're not telling them what to say but they're telling them like can we discuss maybe this moment in time and what your thoughts are on this and I think Liam has said that he found that really difficult and he just felt like that space was not good for him where he was quite controlled like that and he really he really just didn't feel comfortable so he removed himself from the villa and I think that was really to be respected four days in, you know, he didn't really stand to gain anything for being there from, for being there from four days. Um, And he chose to leave because he was like, this is not, this is not the right environment for me. Jax was, was a much different scenario. Jax was there for, for quite a few weeks. He had been coupled up with Paige. He had gone through Casa Amor. He had played away at Casa Amor. And then he was trying to kind of do his redemption arc when he came back from Castle and make things up to Paige. Uh, and that's when Adam Collard came in from series past and made a move for Paige. And Jax seemed to just crumble underneath that pressure. And he spoke about not feeling himself and that he needed to go home and put his head right. And that, you know, if he wanted to have a chance with Paige, he needed to do X, Y, and Z. So it was quite a different scenario. Um, for that but there's lots of speculation that Jax was pulled up for some of his behaviours and spoken to by producers which I would imagine was correct there was moments where he got very hot and very um, um, verbally aggressive and I would imagine he was he was called up on f- for that and I would say there was a couple of days of thinking about his position there and whether it was going to change and whether you know it was the right place for him and eventually he removed himself f- from the villa which I think was the right decision for Paige, who was clearly in a situation that was not good for her, but also for Jax, who was also clearly struggling and needed to avail of all of the the welfare care that ITV could offer him at that time. Um, so they were the two the two departures this year, which I think were were quite different in in context when you look into it. So if we move to the finale, Ekansu and Davide were kind of unlikely winners if you consider the journey and the personalities of winners in previous years. Do you think that's a sign that even the loyal viewers are a bit sick of the same old format and just wanted something a bit different this year? I think there's been a very cookie cutter winner on Love Island for the last however many years, right? Like it's the couples who got together very early on and they were hardly tested and they've really stayed loyal and, you know, the the, the quote unquote true love story in the villa. And I think Ekansu and Davide were our eventual winners because there wasn't actually a true love couple that kind of avoided being seen in a negative light throughout the whole series. I mean, every couple went through their moments of being kind of unpopular where one partner was unpopular, both of them were. Um, so we didn't have that option this year. Um, to And it was similar last year with, with Millie and Liam's victory. You know, 
they Liam played away at Casa Amor and everyone was like there's no way they can win like he's just on the dog on her in Casa Amor and now they've won it but again it was because there wasn't really any couple that had been there from day one and kind of had this ultimate love story I think another ex- uh, exception to the rule was Amber Amber Gill who won with Greg O'Shea a couple of years ago you know that wasn't the expected winner she was up against Molly May and Tommy who would have been that kind of cookie cutter couple so there have been moments where this has happened right where we've seen audience kind of in the last few weeks just sway against who they thought would be the the quote-unquote perfect Love Island winner and Ekansu and Davide were definitely that um and I would have put money on it before the final that they were by far and away the winners like the percentage breakdown has come out they won by over 63 percent of the vote they massively took it like they absolutely got the majority of the vote but I think in the final watching it play out that's when the nerves sat in for me and I was like oh this actually could sway back to this really you know cookie cutter winner the Luca and Gemma who've been there the whole time and have had this great you know apparent great story by Love Island's standards the story they're telling us is trying to be a great story but they're not really reacting to the fact that there's a lot of negativity about them on the outside um so i think an ekansu and davide win is really good for the show because it kind of opens up the idea that like you don't have to be this like sickly sweet kind of boring but in love couple you can be the stars of the show who have bought brought drama from the minute you've got there and could have had an argument on the finale stage for all we know like they're that unpredictable and you can win it and you can win it by a lot and I think that will only be good for the show I think it will loosen out the reins of couples staying together because they think that is the narrative that will get them the win and Ekansu and Davide should be rewarded for for the TV that they gave us I mean we haven't seen reality TV characters like them in a long long time they were brilliant it's probably not the last we've seen of them oh absolutely not (laughs) absolutely not and on the night of the finale, we also had the announcement that Big Brother is returning. And I mean, it's a very different time in rea- reality TV, even compared to five years ago when Big Brother decided to take a break. How are you expecting that to play out in 2023? What do you think will change? Yeah, I would say, so I, I wasn't a, a very avid watcher of Big Brother throughout the years. I didn't have the channel. I lived in rural Ireland. I didn't have the channel. So I literally, it totally escaped me for a long part of my life until I, we got Wi-Fi in my part of Cork. And I was like, oh, brilliant. I can YouTube this stuff now and figure it out. <laughs> and I started watching all the big moments and the big controversies. And, you know, there's loads of podcasts on it. Uh, if you haven't watched Big Brother before, I would encourage you to go listen to, to the podcast that go through some of those memorable moments. And the impact it has had on reality TV is ever-present. You can see it constantly. And we reference it all the time on our podcast when talking about Love Island. I would say for hardcore fans of Big Brother who are extremely excited to see it come back, just don't set your your expectations too high. We're in a very different landscape than we were what is it, six years since it left our screens and like over 20 since it started? Even six years ago, reality TV was a very different place. I mean, Love Island has only been on for eight years and we have seen how much it has changed in that time. It's also moving to ITV2. So it will have a very similar pressure on it to have this duty of care element, which obviously for a huge percentage of it is very valuable and needed for for the Islanders and the contestants going on Big Brother. But there are parts of duty of care that have clamped down on certain games that actually probably weren't causing that much problems and were probably just an easy win for ITV to say, oh, look, we've taken this out. So look, we're doing stuff. And I would imagine that would kind of fall over onto Big Brother. I'm interested to see how they handle it. Will they be able to replicate 
the level of high that Big Brother had in its early seasons? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We have too much access to too much information now. Big Brother at the time didn't have the have you know Twitter and all of these spaces. You had your your hour to watch it a night, your live feed if you wanted to tune into that overnight, and then you had to wait till you got to work the next morning, and that was the time you could start your conversation. There was no WhatsApp group, there was no Instagram, there was none of that stuff. You had to wait to sit in front of people and be like, "What did you think of X, Y, and Z? This challenge, that challenge, whatever." That will all be very, very different now. Um, so I just don't know. I I don't know how ITV are going to be able to handle that with the pressure being so huge. Um, and will they be able to find contestants as as gripping as some of the early season contestants? I just don't think. I don't think those people are there to be found anymore because I think the idea of reality TV has changed so much to becoming, you know, a pathway to celebrity rather than this kind of wild TV experience, like, you know, we're going on win- winning streak or whatever. Like, it's not that. It's a pathway to celebrity. And therefore, the people that apply would be people who are open to that pathway. So it changes it changes the, the structure of the show as well. So, yeah, I'm very interested to see how it plays out. I don't think it will be any way similar to the Big Brother that we we parked five or six years ago. So, yeah, just just the hype around it. I'm like, oh, everyone just needs to just take this with a, with, a, with a pinch of salt because I feel like we're not getting the show that we left behind. Um, but still interesting to see it come back nonetheless and, and how they will handle it. I just hope they don't absolutely fluff it. And no matter how popular these types of shows are, they can run their course. So are we expecting Love Island will keep running in the coming years and will it have to make some significant changes to keep people's attention as it goes on? Yeah, look, I mean... There's a lot of people who hate this show and I, I, some of them I get it and some of them I'm like, just watch it and then tell me you hate it and I'll agree with you. And I know it takes up such a huge part of, of the TV scheduling for eight weeks throughout the summer um, and there's lots of people around the country who will be like, I never get to use my TV when Love Island is on and I feel your pain. But I would say to those people, it's going nowhere soon. Like it's it's not leaving our screens anytime soon. This is one of the most lucrative shows on ITV's roster. The money that this show makes for ITV is massive. Beyond that, the conversations that ITV are then a part of, po- I mean, positively online and, and the kind of moments that they can create and capitalize on social media are massive. The stories that this show generates for their other shows like This Morning and Least Women and Lorraine and all of these talk shows is massive. This show doesn't only give to to itself and the, and the viewership that watches it it gives to the entire ITV2 roster and the money it makes will just overshadow all of the criticism for for a while so i think there's there's no sign of this leaving our screens anytime soon we're getting two series next year we're getting winter and we're getting summer which i think was probably not a good call i think the last winter series we saw was was boring it was it was a poor series it was 2020 the only thing that saved it was the fact that it happened in January 2020 just before covid put us all in lockdown and cancelled all these productions and it meant that we had a love island series in 2020 as a result because the summer series was obviously cancelled it doesn't have a high expectation going into it from fans um and i think they announced it when the going was really good with this year's series of love island before we got to kind of a very rough patch there there along the middle and I just don't know if that was the right decision, but that will not prevent this show from being made. I mean, the viewership figures alone show that it's being watched by more people than it ever has been. It is making more money than it ever has been. And it's creating staff for ITV. I mean, all of these stars are now ready-made 
commentators for all of these shows this morning and Lisa Women and all this stuff, they're going to be going on those shows for weeks and weeks and weeks. If any issue comes up over the next year with regards to, you know, mental health in young women or body image for young men or, you know, couples who are deciding to marry earlier in life, who are they going to call on to get a take on that kind of segment? There's surely a Love Islander that can come in and share their experience. Like it's, it's, ever generating for Love Island. It just gives so, or for ITV, it just gives so much. So long answer long, it's not going anywhere. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so sorry because I know so many people hate it, but it's not, it's not going anywhere. No, absolutely not. Yeah, well, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the future seasons. Thanks, Order, for joining me to talk us through it all. Thanks so much, Michelle. Thanks to everyone who listened to this episode of The Explainer. And thanks again to Orla for joining me. If you're a Love Island fan and you haven't already been tuning into her podcast, My Pod on Paper, it's well worth a listen. If you've been affected by issues raised in this podcast, help is available. You can call Samaritans Ireland on 116 123 or email them at joe at This episode was brought to you by producers Aoife Barry and Nikki Ryan. If you liked what you heard and you want to support The Explainer, there are a few things you can do. You can head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute to become a monthly subscriber or you can leave us a rating and a review as well if you're feeling generous wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.